Merry Christmas. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1 in just a second, but before I do that, uh, join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this beautiful day. We thank you for the sunshine, for the crisp uh, temperatures. Uh, we thank you for the joy of a God who comes near uh, and a God who is with us. So would you bless us uh, with that today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Text is in the bulletin also up on the screens uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should uh, read it and hear and respond to it as such this morning. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, so before we dig into the kind of the theological uh, real meat of this text, I just want to say something at the outset that one of the things that we are celebrating today is uh, not just the miracle of birth. Uh, I've said this before, you know, guys come out of the delivery room, it's a miracle. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, the, the, the fact is babies get born all the time. By definition, miracles don't happen every day, all right? So let's, let's be clear about that. But a virgin birth is a miracle. And so sometimes people, skeptical people, read a text like this and they think, oh, humbug. But embedded, and Scott, you can put my notes up, embedded in this text is uh, a reason to believe in the virgin birth. One of the reasons why people look at the Bible and think, you know, those ancient people were such rubes and idiots, uneducated, unsophisticated, didn't know anything about anything. Except this text contradicts that. Because we can assume when uh, Mary shows up pregnant uh, and the fact that Joseph wants to uh, divorce her quietly, uh, we can assume a couple of things. One is virgin births were not common in that day. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, Joseph knows he's not the dad. And so the fact of the matter is, as we read something like this, it, it, we, sh we should recognize that Joseph himself believed that this baby was, being, was, coming, was conceived and coming into the world in the regular way, not uh, the miraculous way. And so it's good to kind of bolster your faith a little bit as we uh, th think, think a little bit about this. But the other thing that I realized this week is, I don't know if you follow these kinds of statistics or not, um, but on November 15th of this year, uh, the United Nations estimated that the world's population had topped 8 billion. 
Eight billion. That's a lot. I remember, I think, when it was around three or four billion uh, in my lifetime. And so, eight billion, that's a lot of people. Now, I was figuring out the number, and that's the wrong number. I think that's eight trillion. So, take three zeros off of that. You still got to, or maybe, did you fix it, Scott? There's, there's a calculus teacher for you. So, 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 the fact is, that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot a lot of people. It's an amazing uh, uh, number of people. And when I read that, uh, it made me feel small. Right? It makes, and it should, I mean, to, to, it's an overwhelming number to think about that and, and to realize that it's only getting larger, right? And it makes me feel a little bit lost in the midst, middle of all that, because the fact is, one of the things that you have to think about is, how does God manage all this? How does he manage all of us? How does he know what's going on? I mean, it is mind-boggling to think there are 8 billion-plus image bearers of the living God living and breathing and walking around on this planet. And yet God is mindful of all that he has made. The thing that's important for us today, next slide, uh, please, Scott, is... Um, to understand how important it is when you feel small and lost, as we often do, the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby is that he is God with us. Now, that was, an, that was a great thing for the people that lived when Jesus lived. The, the shepherds could go and see the Jesus uh, uh, there in the manger, the um, uh, Mary and Joseph could change his diaper and kiss his feet and, and, and touch him and play with him. People were around him. They could see him and they could, they could touch him. I, and, and as God gave them faith, they could come to an understanding that, yes, indeed, this is God. This is the second son of the Trinity, and he is with us. But what about us? He's not here in the room in the same way that he was there in that manger in Bethlehem, Right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, by recognizing that God is with us, by believing that he, God is with us in Jesus Christ, we have a particular blessing uh, that those people didn't have. The Bi witness of the Bible is that we are blessed because of this. Jesus says, if you believe because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We may not have touched his swaddling cloths, or heard his newborn cries, but we have everything we need to experience him. His sensible signs are bread and wine. His voice resounds from a pulpit and a page. His eyes and his ears and his hands are on display in the weekly assembly of his body. And so there's a very profound way right there that Jesus is present with us. We celebrate that every single week when we worship together, when we uh, read the scriptures together, when we take the supper together, we bear witness to the fact that this God is real and he is with us. Second, next slide. But God is, uh, uh, um, he's with us now by virtue of the fact that his Holy Spirit resides in us. Paul writes in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Those are great theological reasons for why Jesus is with us.
But I want to tell you a third one, and this one is the one that we probably don't think about very much. Uh, it's To me, as I thought about it this week, it's completely unexpected. Next slide. Jesus says near the end of his life, as the Father has loved me, so, I have, loved, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you may ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. When uh, we used to uh, spend a lot of time and money when our kids were younger, plotting and thinking about vacation because we wanted to give them memories and experiences. And we poured it out. Poured it out. And then a day came when we were pouring it out and it looked like our kids were not having a good time. And that was more than offensive. Disconcerting, saddening, angering, all of those things. And I would say, what is wrong with you? You know, if, if, if we're, we're doing all of this for you, why, why aren't you happy? Why aren't you content? And they would say, I don't want to be with you. I want to be with my friends. I want to be with my friends. We want to be with our friends, don't we? That's what uh, friendship is about. That's what we uh, were built for, right? But the thing that is so amazing about this is, is why would a divine transcendent entity referred to in the scriptures as the everlasting God, the Lord Most High, not only consent to become human, but also initiate what a friendship is, a relationship with us that is defined by mutual affection intimacy, and self-revelation. And what's even crazier about this, in the context when Jesus says this, he says, I'm not going to call you servants, because that's what a normal king viewed his subjects. They were servants. No self-respecting king thought of anyone in his kingdom really as his friend, as someone that he had a mutual relationship with. Because their relationship was defined first and foremost by his kingship and by their subjection to him. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus is king. And there is no doubt that we are subject to him. But we are subject to him in a way that is not like the way earthly kings deal with their subjects. Because our king makes us his friends. He makes us in the people that have an intimate, personal, mutual relationship with him. It is a remarkable thing to recognize that Jesus is with us, and he is with us precisely because 
His love is manifest to us and described to us in the manner of friendship. A friendship. Next slide. So um, uh, Jesus, by becoming our friend, actually elevates us, right? So it, it's, it's not just that he uh, um, uh, lowers himself to us, but by becoming our friend, he is elevating us by befriending the least of us without regard to class, viability, ability, education, or even if you look at the guys who were his followers, his disciples, good morals, shifts in some way the power dynamic between us and him. And he must be the one to do that for us. We can't reach up and grab him by the toe. He must come all the way to us to befriend him. We don't lower him. He comes of his own will, driven by his love, uh, uh, to do that, uh, to, to become our friend. And that is why our friend must make an end to sin's dominion over us. You see, Jesus makes us his friends because he loves us. And because he loves us, he must, as the angel told Joseph, deal with our sin. He must save us from sins, but he almost also must save us from sin's dominion over us. So if you ever feel like you're a microscopic dot in a picture with eight billion other dots, one of the things that you can realize is that when Jesus looks at the world and he sees that eight billion dots out there, he looks at you and says, there's another dot. No, he looks at you and says, there's my friend Jared. There's my friend Doug. There's my friend Lauren. Because that's what he did by coming and making a way for us to have our sin removed so that we could exist in this per perfect, ultimately eternal relationship gathered with him at his table. We're going to take the Lord's Supper today uh, on, uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, and one of the things that is uh, interesting about this is, is that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it may be a little curious to think, well, why in the world would you do something that would proclaim someone's death on their birthday? That seems, uh, uh, that seems a little odd. That seems a little dissonant, a little uh, uh, out of accord. But here's the fact for us today. As we come to the table, we celebrate today something rich, and that is Jesus ate meals with his friends. And so that the picture that he paints for us of our ultimate destiny is a giant feast, a giant party where he greets us and welcomes us and gives us a place at his table because he has done all that needs to happen to make that place for us at his table. And he calls us as he feeds us his friends. 
On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins uh, together. Heavenly Father, you alone are our maker who delights to dwell with the broken and contrite. Jesus Christ, you are our redeemer who alone satisfies divine wrath by his perfect sacrifice. Holy Spirit, you are our only comforter who grants us repentance and faith. We confess before you and one another that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed, that we have not loved you with all our heart and soul, mind and strength, that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, O Lord, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. We beseech you, O God, to forgive what we have been, to change what we are, and by your mercy direct what we are becoming, so that we may hereafter walk in the way of your commands. Forgive and sanctify us, O Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. Probably sometime today, you'll sit around a table with people that you know and love, people that you've invited to be there, people that are your friends, your family, dear ones to you, and you'll enjoy a meal. Um, and, and some of those meals will be better than others, right? And some of that table fellowship will be better than others. But the fact is, what we do when we gather together to sit at table with one another we are experiencing uh, 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 relationship in a way that is close, that is human, uh, that is personal, uh, that is uh, dear. One of the things that we, uh, that's remarkable uh, about the Christmas story is, is that Jesus prepares a table for us that by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection for us, his promise to us today is, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are bound uh, to an eternity where we will sit with him 
because he's made a place for you uh, at his table. There's a place card in heaven at his table with your name on it that he wrote. That's great news for us. You invite your friends to come and eat with you. Jesus invites his friends to come and taste his goodness this morning. If you uh, have come to that place in your spiritual pilgrimage where you've recognized your need of Jesus Christ, you have professed to a body of believers somewhere that he, as his name says, has saved you from your sins, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, this Christmas, you have the opportunity to eat and to drink, to actually feed on him, to be renewed, restored, and energized for the life of friendship that he calls you to. As the elders come down front to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is uh, wine, the inner rings are grape juice, underneath each cup is uh, a gluten-free wafer. If you're unable to come down front, raise your hand and we'll see to it that you get served. Once we have all been served, we will eat and drink together.